Thank you, guys. Grab your Bibles. In fact, grab your bulletins because I have several scriptures that I'm going to go through today. Um, but you can open to 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and then open to the book of Exodus. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and Exodus. How many of you are coffee drinkers? Boy, some of those hands went up so fast. Boy, you thought we were giving away, you know, a car or something. Do you remember the first time you tried coffee? Did anybody like coffee the first time you tried it? Was anybody like, wow, this is amazing. Or were you like me and I tried my mom's coffee and I sipped it and I spit it out in the sink and I looked at her and I said, mom, what's wrong with you? You drink this? Are you okay? Uh, you got three boys. You got to drink, right? drink coffee. And did you ever try coffee lukewarm? Like, oh, it's just not the same. Or do you remember when it was cold and you wouldn't drink it? Now, with coffees today, people drink it hot. People make it into hot chocolate. People blend it with ice. People add all these different things. You never know what they're ordering today. I think more and more and more people drink coffee and blend it. I feel like my message today is like blended coffee. So I hope you like blended coffee because we're going to blend a few things around in here in God's word because the title of our series has been Christ in you. And we'll come back at the end of Jesus the Christ. But I want to take a little detour here in a minute and go through the book of Exodus because remember, the Bible in the Old Testament is not old that we put away with. We know that Jesus fulfilled the law, but every story in there, Hebrews 11 lets us know, are people of faith that tried, that wavered, that gave up, that got back on the horse, that tried, that gave up, got back on the horse, trusting God, believing God, and it's there for us to go back and look at the different people and look at their relationship with the Lord and learn from their mistakes. Learn from the ways you'll say, oh, I thought the same way. Thank you, that God, that I saw that so that I could make corrections. Well, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul says this, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Does it say examine your neighbor? No. Examine who? Yourself. Examine yourself whether you are in the faith Test yourself. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves? And here's what I love. He says that Jesus Christ is in you. Here's the ultimate test. Jesus Christ is in you. But what we got to go back, examine ourselves. Test ourselves. Test the way that we think. Get back into God's promises. Change the way that we think so that we don't go by feelings but we go by his word. His word is the truth. It's our foundation. It's our hope. It's everything we were singing and worshiping about today. It comes back to his words to us. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69, we read two weeks ago. This is where, uh, the, the, before this, this is where Jesus preached the sermon, and he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part of me. I won't get into that today. If that made you shrill, go back a couple weeks and listen to the message. Many of the disciples, when they heard that, the ones that followed him, left. And in verse, we pick this up in verse 66, because from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away too? But Simon 
Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have the words of eternal life. One of the translations say, you have the words of life. Peter is saying, I left the fishing business. I dropped the boat, or I dropped the nets, and I came to follow you. I gave everything up to follow you. Where would I go? And not just that I would go back. You have given me the words of life. And they're eternal. And I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to follow. That's how powerful it was, even in Peter's life, who at the time is not saved. Right? He's going to make some big mistakes coming up here in a little while in the scriptures. But he's going to come back to Jesus because he found life through Jesus. But we read in our reading, if you read uh, in Timothy this last week, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. In fact, I, I looked this up out of the Living Bible. Any of you saw the Living Bible? Remember the Living Bible? I love this translation. It says this. For there's going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but they will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Let me read that last part. They won't listen to what the Bible says. Think about that. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Now you see that word blithely? Have you used that this week? Did you use that in an email or a... Uh, a text message to anybody? Hey, want to encourage you blithely today? No. In fact, that word means in indifference. What he's saying is, these are people that not only don't believe what the Bible says, they have an indifference to what God says. They're going to follow their own misguided ideas. So keep that in your blended drink today. Your blend, well, let me make sure I correct that. Blended coffee drink, because we mentioned Samuel Adams. I want to make sure we get that correct. You know, there's a term we hear um, thrown around a lot. In fact, uh, we have heard churches, some churches are EV-free, evangelical-free churches. Have you heard the term an evangelical Christian? We typically don't use those terms. We hear that term used in political circles, evangelical Christians, evangelical pastors. What was the 18th century that the word evangelical described Christians who emphasized a personal relationship with God, the practice and knowing about being born again, and a call to spread God's message worldwide. But that term nowadays, we, don't use, we would say we're Christians, but the world would use the term you're an evangelical. So I want to pull out a quick reference what evangelicals would believe today, in fact, it'll be up on your screen, and it's really what I mentioned from the 18th century, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Right? The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Or, I believe the way I believe because God's Word says so. Second is, it's very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, we're to be a witness, right? We would probably all agree with that. Be a witness out there. Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice 
that could remove the penalty of my sin. It talks about repentance. We come and repent not based on anything else but what Jesus did when he shed his blood for us. And then lastly, only those who trusted Jesus Christ alone as their Savior received God's free gift of eternal salvation. So I broke this down, and it was, uh, they trust in God's word, they trust and believe the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They believe in repentance and have repentance, and they believed in salvation. And so a Christian um, strategist and also a person that does polls for Christian churches uh, found out that only 35% of Americans say that they are born-again Christians, right? 35%. But when asked with these four things, only 7% say they have evangelical beliefs. Well, there's not another Christianity out there, right? There's only, there's only one. In fact, we would probably add, I'd add a few more things in there. 35% of Americans said that they were born again, but after listening to those beliefs, uh, that wasn't them, it was only 7%. Here's the shocker. One in 10 millennials, that's uh, ages 19 to 35, only one in 10 believe that. So notice what's happened in society where we've gone from really a Christian nation down to where many people don't even believe what the Bible says. We've had celebrities come out in the last few years that talk about how can you trust a document that's 2,000 years old? But here's where we come back to our beliefs. We're not trusting it because somebody said to trust it. We trust in it because we know God and we've accepted his son, Jesus Christ, and we picked up and believed in the Great Commission. We've received repentance on our own. We're saved. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can go on and go on and go on and go on. So isn't it interesting that in 2 Timothy, Paul ends with, they won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. So put a pause in there, and I want to jump and look at for a bit the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. In fact, we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, uh, that at the end of Joseph's life, we hear this being said, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here. In fact, that word visit is God will give attention to you. Now, we won't take time to go through it, but we remember that Joseph was raised up and he had gone to Potiphar's house. He was accused of really trying to rape Potiphar's wife. He was thrown in prison, but because of his interpretations of dreams, he was put in second command of Egypt. He oversaw the famine. He oversaw the, the young uh, Israel, Jacob, with his name changed Israel, and all of the brothers and the wives and the herds all come to Egypt to settle in Egypt so they would survive as a nation. And Joseph says this early on, that God will visit you. God will give attention to you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. That's Joseph saying it early on. We know that the exodus before the Israelites, the Bible says, in fact, I want to go through a few of these kind of quickly. Exodus chapter 1 verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did what? Not know Joseph. Joseph spared Egypt from the wisdom that God had given him. 
Joseph spared this young nation now, Israel, because of the wisdom and the position that God put him in. So Joseph saved both the Egyptians and Israel from famine. Egypt, or Israel, now lives in that Goshen Valley, uh, and the Bible says they have multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and got stronger, and there's a lot more people, but there's a new king now. And this king in Egypt doesn't know Joseph, and what he sees are people that he can put to work. And not just to put to work from nine to five hours. In fact, the Bible's going to go on, and in Exodus chapter 1, verse 10, it says, deal shrewdly with them. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, the first part, afflict them with many burdens. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 13, it says, make the children of Israel serve with rigor, or the word rigor is harshness. And then in verse 14, it calls that work bitter and hard bondage. So all of a sudden, this young nation is spared They've been living in the land of Goshen. They've been taken care of through a famine, but there's a new king that doesn't know Joseph. And he begins to look at the people to begin to use them for their strength. But I love what verse 17 in Exodus 1 says, because there's been a report that it's gone out that the first, the males that are born are to be put to death. But it says, but the midwives did what? They feared God. The midwives God. In fact, as they went on and talked and as they were questioned about it, they said the Hebrew women are lively. In fact, they would be out working in the field and they found a kid too with a patch of lettuce. There's a child being born. They were lively. They were giving birth. There was multiplication happening, but they feared the Lord. But then in verse 22, so Pharaoh commanded all of his people saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save. Well, remember, one of the boys was Moses. Yet he was hidden for three months, and when they couldn't hide him anymore, his own mother built out of thatch and sticks and used, uh, back to Bible codes, like some type of asphalt to put him in his own little tiny mini ark, right? Put him in there and send him out in the water. And we know that his life was spared because he would be a deliverer of the people. Moses was spared. You know, Exodus 3-7 is where God begins to move, and he begins to move to remind us of what uh, Joseph says. And he says this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Here's what I remember in this verse. He's seen and he hears. In fact, David follows up with that in Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Isn't that good? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And is what? His ears are open to his prayers. Even though they may not have been serving him, his, he saw their oppression and he heard their cries and he began to move on their behalf. In fact, one of the things that he does uh, and it's not just for the kids to read and keep entertained in Sunday school. You read about the ten plagues. Now, I want you to quickly think about this. We have the plague of blood, where all the water in the river turns to blood. We have frogs. How many of you like frogs? How many of you like frogs in your bed, in your food, in your sandwich, under your shoe at night, in your bathroom, in your shower, in your car? Okay, frogs. Lice, 
flies. You know what we're like? One fly gets in our car, and we try to roll down every single window, and we try to swat whatever we can swat, and it's one little fly. The Bible says the flies took over the land. We read about livestock disease, boils, hail. You know, in fact, I think I stepped on glass yesterday at my house, and I was limping around, limping around the house thinking it's a shard, you know, and I'm going to need stitches, and I had Michelle pull it out. She could barely see it. <laughs> that little thing boils, though, all over their bodies. In fact, the Bible says on all the animals, hail, locust, darkness, death of firstborn. Do you know it's the first three of these, blood, frogs, and lice, that when we read the scriptures, it was upon the Egyptians and the Israelites. But do you know the last seven? None of them touched the Israelites. None of them touched the Israelites. God began to, in their lives, show a separation of what he was about to do. He had chosen them. He was protecting them. So when they would probably hear the complaint, can't you believe all those flies in my house? Can't you believe all of those things? They probably thought, I don't know what you're talking about. It's so dark, I can't walk or I couldn't find my lamp. I don't know what you're talking about because the Bible says their lamps are in their homes. They could see. God was beginning to show them that he was going to begin to move on their behalf. In fact, in Exodus 12, 31, uh, Pharaoh says this to them after the death of the firstborn, Go serve the Lord as you have said. So this is where we come into the Exodus. Go serve the Lord as you have said. And in Exodus 12, 36b, thus they plundered the Egyptians. In fact, if you read in Exodus or in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, and if you read in Exodus, 20, or Exodus 3, 22, in Exodus 3, before any of the plagues, before anything, God tells Moses that they're going to plunder the Egyptians. You're going to get their silver, you're going to get their gold, and you're going to get their clothes. You're going to have all of that. You know what Deuteronomy 29.5 says? For 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. 40 years. And their sandals didn't wear out, and they didn't have swollen feet. How many of you have a favorite shirt? Anybody have a favorite shirt? None of you? Favorite shoes, maybe? All right, favorite purse, ladies. 40 years, and you think, I'd rather just be 40 days because I'd like to get another one in 40 days. No. How great it would be to have that favorite shirt. You know, I'll look back. Michelle keeps great, um, she keeps great files of all the pictures we've taken over the years. And I'll look at a picture and I'll say, oh, yeah, where did that shirt go of mine? That was one of my favorite shirts. Who took it to the goodwill and didn't tell me? And they'll do that. They'll think, you know, you, you've, you've kind of moved on from that shirt, Dad, because you wear the same thing all the time. I would have liked to have been like the children of Israel. Had one shirt that didn't wear out, one pair of jeans, sack suit, right, uh, sandals didn't wear out, have the one thing. Is that a miracle or what? That God did on their behalf that even what they had, they plundered the Egyptians with silver and gold. In fact, in Exodus 12, 40, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel was, was lived in Egypt was 430 years. 430 years. The generations that have lived in Egypt. The generations that up until probably recently 
had a good place to raise their herd, to raise their children. But everything shifted with the one in power that didn't know Joseph. But Moses calls them out and in Exodus 13, 3, and he says this, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by the strength of the hand of the Lord he brought you out of this place. And then the end of the verse says, No leavened bread shall be eaten. They left in such a haste that they took their bowls with the unleavened bread, and it looks like the Egyptians were giving them everything just to get them out, get them away, get them out of our eyesight. And man, they're now free after 430 years. What would free people look like? Free to worship God. Free to go out and sacrifice. Free to be taught. In fact, as we read on in the Bible, uh, Psalm 105, verse 37, David brings us up. He also brought them out with silver and gold. There was none feeble among his tribes. And, and the New Century Version says, then he brought his people and uh, he then he brought his people out and carried them with silver and gold. None of his people stumbled. But notice in Exodus, everybody doing good today? Going through scripture? All right. Are you guys writing all these down? I'll, let me start over so you can know how to get them all. all right. Exodus 13, verse 17. God did not lead them by the way of the land of Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God didn't take them the way, maybe the easier way, because of the Philistines, because there would have been a fight, lest they change their hearts. God takes them away, and they're getting concerned when they see the horses and the chariot coming. But God does a miracle by parting the Red Sea and all of the children of Israel pass. God is leading them with a, a pillar, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. God begins to feed them manna in the morning. They get quail in the evening. He's beginning to take care of all their needs. The plan is somewhere between 19 and 20 days, maybe a month at the most, of getting into this promised land. A land that flows with milk and honey. Does that mean the cows are already lined up to be milked? No, that means that the grass, the grains, and all of that area are so rich that when their herds come, those herds will produce a lot of milk. Does that mean that there's just honey sitting around? No, that means there's bees. That means fruit trees and all the vegetables they plant. Any other plants that they plant will be taken care of because they will all be pollinized. That's the promise of God. But they didn't remember all that God got them out. They begin to lean and think on their own understanding. In fact, I want to look at a couple other verses. Exodus 14, 12. The same people that get out of Egypt, that get delivered from plagues, that see what God does, say these words. Exodus 14, 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians that, than that we should die in the wilderness. Go back to Egypt? Go back to burdens and dealt shrewdly and children killed? And I'll go back? Well, it goes on. Exodus 16.3, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by our pots 
of meat, and we had bread to the full. You have, brought, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us and the whole assembly with hunger. Oh, that we were back in Egypt. How easily sometimes we forget, don't we? How easily we forget. And then lastly, Numbers 11, verse 5. They said this, We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And I can just see him saying that, right? Oh, you remember the fish. How many of you like fish? Let me hear like, all right. I remember the fish. I remember the garlic. Yeah, we used to tell you to ease back on the garlic. I love the cucumbers. I wish I was back in that land. Is that amazing what they said? I wish I was back there. I'd put up with all of that just so that I could eat. Just so that my, my, my flesh wouldn't be starving. Just so that I didn't have to eat manna, manna, manna and didn't have to get these quails. But God had a plan for them. But in their hearts, they wanted to go back. Isn't it interesting when we started with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, where it says, For there is going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth but they will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but they will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. You know, Egypt had gotten so much in them that when Moses left to go be with God to carve out the Ten Commandments they built from, for themselves out of the, the plunder of Egypt, the silver and the gold, they built a golden calf to worship. They worshipped the very things that were in Egypt. They didn't stay true to their own God. And it's interesting that we read here that the Apostle Paul says they won't listen to what the Bible says. They won't listen to what the Bible says. We need to be people that listen to what the Bible says. Even if I miss the fish and the garlic and the leeks and all of those things, I want to make sure that I listen to what he says because Jesus did something very powerful when he was born. After the wise men visited, do you remember what Herod called to happen? Herod called for all the young Hebrew boys under the age of two to be killed. But the Lord provided through, uh, to uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus through the frankincense, through the myrrh, so that they would have some means to get down to what nation? Egypt. So Jesus was in Egypt three years, or three or so years, before a dream came to Joseph and he came back. It's interesting that Jesus went through what they went through. He went through a time when the boys were being killed. Uh, like Moses was spared, Jesus was spared. Jesus also went down to Egypt, the place where we could look at and say, they forgot their God in Egypt. Uh, Egypt had become who they were. Egypt had become in their heart. It had changed their ways. But Jesus comes back, and we don't see him until he's 12 or so, but he's in the temple, and he's both asking and answering the questions of the religious leaders. And that's where we read in Luke 2, 52, that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. But his first sermon that he preaches, he preaches out of Isaiah 61, we read it in Luke 24. In fact, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And one of the phrases that he says, 
is he's also sent me to give liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. You know, I was talking with Kirk this morning, and, and uh, I was recently at an event, and they, I hope I'm not stealing uh, um, uh, an illustration from your Bible study today. They read out these ten names. All right, pastors, in the Bible, I'm going to read you ten names. They read these ten names out. How many of you know what, where these guys are located in the Bible? Man, I didn't. I felt bad. You should know where those names are. Nobody raised their hand. 300 pastors or so. He says, those were ten of the twelve spies' names. It's funny how you don't even know their names. But the ten names that we don't even refer to were able to turn a nation to not believe that God had a promise for them when they walked in the land and saw everything that God said. We, we saw that it's a land that flows with milk and honey. We saw the produce. But we looked like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. Yet there were two that believed that they could take it now. We remember their names. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. We remember those guys. We name our kids after them. <laughs> Caleb, the Bible says, had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. He knew God's promises. He was bold. So in these times, in these days, it's interesting that there were ten that swayed a nation that we don't even know who they are. But the two that we know were the ones that wanted to stand and be firm on God's promises. Peter then says, when Jesus tells him, you want to leave too? He says, where am I going to go? You have the words of life. I'm not going back to how I used to be, what I used to do, because I've grabbed a hold of your words of life, their eternal life. Where can I go? I'm not going to go back. In fact, I think for all of us, I don't want to go back where I'm dealt shrewdly with, where I'm afflicted with burdens, where I'm made to serve with rigor, where I have hard bondage just so I can eat the fish and have bread. I want to make sure that I follow what Jesus says, that he's brought in me liberty of the captive. I'm no longer going to be captive to that way of thinking. I'm not going to be captive to those that think the Bible is irrelevant. Because as uh, Jesus mentions, and as Paul mentions, in fact, I love what we read in, in Philippians. Paul says, you know the word of God? It's not chained. I might be chained, but the word of God is not chained. It's active, and it's moving. And let me tell you, he has set us free. But we open our Bible, and we look at these to say, I don't want to go back. I don't want to have any of Egypt in me. I don't want to go back to that way. I have found the words of life. Bow your heads if you would today. Well, Father, we come today, and Lord, you were the one that we read that says all of these words of Scripture were inspired by you. So Lord, as, as we read these words, they're life to us. In fact, Solomon said, they're life to those who find it. So Lord, let us be found by you seeking words of life, being a person that encourages people with words of life. 
being people that come back and make this Word of God part of who we are, not just a time or a task to click off, but it's who we are. It's what we are. It's sharpening our lives. Let us be like Joshua and Caleb, and though you say something and it looks completely impossible, we trust what you say, and we don't go by what others might say to sway or outdo you. You are God. And so, Lord, I pray this day that Christ Jesus is in us. That liberty that he sets the captives free is in us. And Lord, let us walk out this life like Peter would say, I submit to your words. I submit my life to you. I don't want to go back. I want you. I want you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.